We are taking these next four weeks and, and we're adding an addendum, if you will, to the book of Acts. We just finished, if you're new to us, we just finished a study in which we went through portions of the book of Acts. But concluding that, we're, we've decided we're gonna add an addendum to that series and I wanna tell you why. Uh, when we consider what happened in the book of Acts, the birth of the church, the, the expansion of the gospel, what they experienced in their daily lives, honesty compels us to say, there seems to be a pretty significant gap between how they experienced God and lived their life of faith and how you and I live our experience with God and our life of faith. I want you to know, I'm not throwing us, I'm not shaming or throwing us under the bus. I'm, I'm just saying, when we read it, it's like there's, there's a pretty significant difference between these two. On the whole, I want you to think about this. They were less, edu less educated, they had less money, they had fewer possessions, they had zero technology as we you know, would, would say it today. They were, quite frankly, a, an occupied people, so they had none of the freedoms that we have today. And yet, let's just take it, they lived in this time and culture, we live in this time and culture, and yet, in their day and age, when a few of them arrived to this town of Thessalonica in Acts, 19, Acts 17, 6, the people of Thessalonica shouted, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Wow. I, I will never forget just you know, over 20 years ago, uh, Lisa and I moved here to, to help plant Fellowship Bible Church. And boy, those first few months and even that first year, I, I, I'm telling you, if I heard this once, I heard it 10 times from different people in different settings, okay? They, they didn't know about each other, but they end up saying the same thing to me, whether it was at Home Depot and I'm buying stuff because we bought a house or returning a rental truck, whatever it may be. And, and you know, somehow it would get around to, Oh, you're new here, what are you, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm here to help plant a church. And what would come out of their mouths next was this. Why do we need another church around here? <laughs> and, I, and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not even sure why I'm here, honestly. You know, it's such a far cry. I'm, I'm serious in this sense. You talk about different from, whoa, whoa, you're one of those? You, you're one of those who are turning the world upside down? You know, you know I, I'm not sure why you're here. I don't know what you guys are doing. How is it, y'all, seriously? And, I, and listen, I'm so grateful for what God has done in and through us as a church. I mean that. You know, I, I stand amazed, and I'm not exaggerating. But, you know, we're at 20 years into this, and so I look back on these last 20 years, and I go, God, thank you for all you've done. But I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna tell you, maybe it's because I'm older and I've got fewer years in front of me. Whatever happens in the next 20, if the Lord tarries, I desire that it would be way more than what happened in the last 20. Don't you? I mean, just for your own life? I mean, I really do. So how, how is it that, that God's people in one era turn the world upside down and God's people in another era get turned upside down by the world? 
what's, what's up with that? I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to John 14. John 14. You know, there's no one answer to that question. There's no one answer, but I want to say this. If we take the book of Acts as our paradigm, which I think is absolutely appropriate, the book of Acts does point to one thing. It just jumps out, as we'll see later on. It does point to one thing that we need to pay attention to by which they turn their world upside down. That can still be true of us today if we're paying attention. Okay, John 14, I am gonna spend today and I'm gonna spend next week around these five passages. So just so you know, I'll be here two weeks in a row and I'm gonna cover these things and I'm gonna, this is an introduction. So there's no gonna be no bow on the end of this message. This is introductory and y'all, I know for some of you, this is gonna be elementary and basic. We dare not move past these truths. And for some of us, it's, it's new or some of us, it's, I didn't know that or I don't understand that. Well, we are gonna address questions like that. I want you to know here in these uh, five key passages, uh, the disciples uh, have just gotten the worst news they have ever had. And if that thing rolls over one more time, I'm just teasing. I'm putting somebody on the spot. You know, I'm kidding. If I say ever say something to you guys like that, you know, I'm joking, I'm joking. It can fall, whatever. Um, in, in this passage, the disciples have, uh, they've gotten the worst news that they could imagine. Uh, you know, three years earlier, Jesus had invited them to follow him and y'all, they followed him. They followed the rabbi. They thought, this is the one, this is the Messiah. He's gonna restore the kingdom. This is our answer to prayer. This is everything we've waited for our whole life. This is amazing. Three years later, they're sitting in a room. This is called the upper room discourse. Jesus will be dead within 24 hours. It's an intimate meal. We're gonna actually listen in on an intimate meal time with his closest friends. What do men talk about when they're about to die? What do women talk about with their last breaths? I guarantee you they're not talking about the weather. Talking about things that matter most. The dinner has, quite frankly, not gone well at all for the disciples. It's uh, one piece of bad news after the other. You you recall this. Jesus says, one of you is gonna betray me. Well, that's, that's not really good news. You know, we've been together for three years now and I thought we all knew each other, you know? One's gonna betray. And then he looks at Peter, man, this is brutal. Peter, you're gonna, betray, you're gonna deny me three times. Ouch. And then he looks at all of them and he says, every one of you will desert me. Man, pass the dessert. This is fat, you know, this is amazing. Last meal, you know, it's, can you, can you feel what they're feeling as these words come out of Jesus' mouth? And then the hammer blow. It's like all those things that feel terrible about that. That's bad. But then the hammer comes down and he says, I'm leaving. 
and you can't come with me where I'm going right now. Now, I, I'm telling you, you know, I, 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 you know, it's like George Washington, Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve, 1776, they're on the banks of the Delaware, and George says, y'all go over, I, I'm giving up on the revolution, I'm done. I mean, it's way beyond that. This is the, must, this is the one they've put their hope in, and he says, I'm leaving. The five passages that we're gonna look at, they're known as the paraclete passages of the upper room. Um, It's not an exaggeration for me to say to you that understanding and applying, living, what Jesus is saying in these texts is the difference between turning the world upside down, living with a purpose and experiencing God in ways you cannot imagine and being turned upside down by the world and living with God in a very safe, middle Tennessee way. And it's why I'm gonna take time this week, next week, and then we're gonna take two more weeks to explore and understand these things. Okay, with your eyes on John chapter 14, keep this in your mind. Jesus, when he says every one of these things, I want you to hear it under this umbrella. Jesus has said to them, I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm leaving you. And then these words. The first text is John 14, verses 16 and 17. Follow along your Bibles. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This word helper is the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos, and we get this root word, the word paraclete. So now you know why it's called, these are called the paraclete passages. The word means uh, someone called alongside, someone to come alongside. And yet this word paraclete has proven to be to scholars over hundreds of years, almost undefinable. It's almost, or or untranslatable. It's it's just really hard to, to get the fullness of paraclete and what it means. And so depending on your Bible, you'll read through these passages we're getting ready to go through and you will see this word paraclete translated counselor, helper, advocate, comforter. Which one is it? Well, it's all of them and probably more. We're doing our best to to understand this word. William Barclay helps us get at the essence of the word. He tells us Paraclete is someone who is called in. Let's, let's hold that thought for a minute. Someone who's called in. And so it can be someone, the, the paraclete is called in to be a witness for someone else. So, so they, they come into the courtroom and they're gonna be a witness for someone else. It could be someone called in to advocate. So, so I'm fighting for something, but then a paraclete is called in to advocate on my behalf. It's someone called in to plead a cause 
for someone, called in to advise. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it, someone's called in to advise. It's also someone called in to strengthen and encourage. He writes this, quote, always a paraclete is someone called in to help in time of trouble or need. Now, I'm, I'm gonna be putting, I'll put some notes and different things on the, the website as we move through this. Rob and I will, because these are so important. So just know as I begin to list some things off, that's gonna, it's gonna be there. Two things I wanna take from this passage, ask us to take first. And again, this is so fundamental, but I am, I'm gonna treat this like a classroom. And, and uh, you know, we all have some things to learn. And I wanna take this first thing in this way. Based on the pronouns in that passage, is the paraclete a person or a thing? Based on the text and the pronouns, is the paraclete a person or a thing? You tell me, which is it? It's a person. It's a person. Y'all, he's a person. I'm a person. This is a podium. This is an object. Tell me some differences, just you don't have to yell it out, some differences between me as a person and the podium as an object. You know, what, what's, what's true of a person that's not true of a podium? I'm, I'm serious when I ask this. Life, I mean, I'm alive. I mean, this thing's dead. What else is true of a person? What does a person possess? What's the... Body, soul, personality, a will. That doesn't have any of those things. You know, one kid yelled out this morning, clothes. You know, I mean, that was astute, right? Um, I, I, I have a mind. I, 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 there's a part of me that, that, that is, is affections and feelings. There's a part of that's my desires and longings. There's choice and will. This is all soulish. This is all who I am in my whole heart. I'm gonna tell you something. This is a piece of wood nailed together. As a person, I have value in being. As an object, this podium has value in just utility. If it had no utility, I mean, we could burn it. It wouldn't matter. The helper is a person. Whoever this helper is, as you know who it is, but we'll discover in the next text, may we never refer to this person as an it, as a thing. He is a person. Secondly, the Prepositions with and in tell us that this person is not just in proximity, i.e. this person's nearby, this person's with. No, it says this person is where in relation to a Christian. Where? Say it out loud. In. We got it. In us. Christians actually possessed by, or has in them, a person. Let's go to the next passage, John 14, verses 25 and 26. Notice he continues, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the 
Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the helper is the, who is the helper? Okay, now we have stepped into the mystery of the triune God. That our God, as Israel said, our God is one God. Yes, he's, there's one God. But we understand that the scriptures teach that our God is one God in three persons. One in essence, one in essence, three in person and role. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. But the Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence and nature. That Father, Son, and Spirit are eternally equally, fully God. There is no diminishing of God in the Son or in the Spirit. And if that doesn't kind of fry your mind, then you, you don't have a, you're not, you're not wrestling with what the Bible says about God. This is difficult. And there's three things we can take away from this text. The first text said the helper is a person and that the helper is with and in us. In this text, we can say this, the helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. I mean, that's three facts we can take from this text. I wanna be careful how we apply it. I want you to know, let's, let's stay with our biblical hermeneutics, how we interpret the Bible and those rules and principles within the context. Jesus is saying these things to the apostles that, that the Spirit will bring back to their mind things he has said to them. So the primary application, we can't miss this, is to the apostles. And by the way, how is it that we're reading the words of Jesus right now and we have these books called the New Testament? This verse. See, the apostles, they didn't write this stuff down. You and I, you know, like some of you are writing notes on things I'm saying. They didn't walk around Jesus writing notes. You remember what he said over there? Do you have that in your notes? I didn't write that down. You didn't put that in Evernote? No, man, somebody needs to figure out what he said at the, at the water last time. They didn't do that. And yet we actually have the words he said. How in the world did they do that? This verse, the spirit brought back to their mind the things Jesus said. Secondary application. The spirit continues to bring to your mind and my mind the things that Jesus said. And he said them and they're in our Bible. They've been inscripturated. Does that make sense? So the application remains for us that the Spirit brings 
teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. Next text, the third paraclete passage, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and you will testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit tells, speaks, proclaims Jesus. And you, Christian, speak, tell, and proclaim Jesus. We've got five things so far that we're, we're noting. The helper's a person. The helper is with us and in us. The helper is the Holy Spirit who is God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells others about Jesus. And so do we. Fourth text, John 16, verse seven. There's more to this text I want you to know, but I'm just choosing verse seven for our purposes today. Jesus says, but I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus didn't always say that. Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Jesus was important, okay? But do you notice sometimes he says, truly, truly? He doesn't say that all the time. And now in our text here, he says, but I tell you the truth. Okay, so you've, you've been lying to us all along. You know, it's not that. It is for emphasis. It is, I'm getting ready to tell you something that is, it's gonna blow your mind such that you're gonna think that can't be true, but I'm telling you, I am telling you the truth. Hours before his death, what does he say? But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who is the helper? Say it out loud. The Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have uh, really a, a below average memory. I don't remember a lot of stuff growing up and I don't remember a lot of stuff about last week. And I'm not, I'm being, tr it's truthful. I just don't have a good memory. So I'm not have those clear crisp memories that a lot of you have on childhood and things like this. I just remember little spotty things. I do remember the last spanking I got. I remember it. And uh, we were living in Fort Eustis, Virginia at the time. Um, I don't know, my mom and dad, somehow we'd gotten a hold of some chiclets. You know, we had they'd got these chiclets. You know what those are, the little candy. It's gum, actually, colored bright, you know, everything a kid wants and covered in sugar. And so we weren't supposed to eat these. I was probably, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the six, seven, eight-year-old range, somewhere in there. We'd have to be about seven or eight years old. And so not supposed to eat it till after dinner. Got it. You know, I couldn't help myself. And so I got those chiclets and I went into the water heater closet. This is government housing, you know, it's a tiny thing, you know. And uh, I ate those chiclets. And my guess is I probably ate them. You know, it's gum, but I probably ate it, you know, for all I know. And then uh, I just remember later, uh, I don't know, maybe dad asked me, you know, had I eaten them? And I said, no, whatever. And uh, he took me to the, wa the water heater closet, opened the door and y'all, you know, there were more chiclets on the floor than there were, you know, in the, in the back bag or whatever, you know, cause I'd spilled them, you know, trying to snarf down the, the chiclets. 
And, uh, and you know what that meant? And this is, it's so funny. You know, my parents have passed away now. And look, this is, this is how I was raised. So that, that meant a spanking. And some, some of us, you know, I'm not even gonna get into the whole parenting and all that stuff. But so, so, but you know, my, it, it meant I was, I was in trouble. We go up to the room and, you know, not to, you know, traumatize anyone, but you know, it was this. <laughs> you remember dad doing that? Some of us do, I, you know. I'm getting punished, you know. I'm getting some pain on the booty because of the pain of, of lying. And, and then the infamous words, you know, son, this is hurting me. <laughs> and as a kid, you're going, what? What? I, I, what? That, that hurts you. You know, I'm, ah! It just like makes no sense at all. I mean, you cannot comprehend it as a kid. The disciples, Jesus says, I'm leaving and it's to your advantage. What? What? Are you kidding me, Jesus? No, no, you're the man. You, 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 we, we're following you. This is the moment. You see, can you imagine what they felt? I, 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 I can hardly get there. I love some of the other translations. The, New Living Translation says, it is best for you that I go away. The NIV, some of you probably reading, it says, it is for your good that I'm going away. The message, Eugene Peterson's translation, he says, it's better for you that I leave. If you don't get anything today, get at least this one. Jesus is going means someone is coming who is better, best, and good for us. You gotta hold that. If I put it in a principle, so to speak, I would add this to our list. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us. What? Wait, what? Because we, we always go, man, Jesus, if you were here, I mean, if only Jesus were sitting in my room, if only, I'm telling you, Jesus himself says, I am telling you the truth. And that truth is, the Holy Spirit in you is better, is for your advantage than Jesus incarnate with you. When Jesus took on human flesh, men and women, took on flesh, see, he will never not have that flesh. He, he, he did it for us. And so for eternity, Jesus has a body. The Father doesn't have a body, the Spirit doesn't have a body, but Jesus does. Now, his body has been glorified as ours will be one day. 
And we know this, his body actually walked through the wall, the glorified body. There's some, some amazing things about our glorified body and surprised us. But let me tell you something. His glorified body can only be in one place at one time. That's just a fact. Burton Sanders is, is my doctor, many of yours, and sometimes Burton will be right here because he's on the security team and he'll be standing up here. Burton has been trained, as many of you all have in the room, and he's got the knowledge and skills. I mean, he, he literally can save a life. You know, he, he, he knows how to save a life. But if Burton is standing here and there's a group of people in the Concord Roadhouse over there and someone has an accident and cuts themselves and they're bleeding out or something's going on with the heart, so they're having something going on and they're literally dying over there in the kitchen and none of them are doctors and Burton is standing here, then this person will die because they can't do what Burton could do were he there. But what if, what if all that Burton is and knows and does and skills and experience and power and strength, all that Burton is, what if that resided in someone over there? And the person's hurt and, and that person can do what, what Burton did because this is gonna sound weird because Burton actually lived in that person, in that other person. And you go, this is, you're right, this is really weird, you know? Sound like Walking Dead or something. Um, no, it's not, it's, it's what the Bible tells us. It's what the Bible tells us, that there is a, this world is not all that we see. There is a spirit world that is as real as this podium that lasts forever, that in this world, there are spirits. I mean, let's just take our New Testament. There are these, they're bad spirits. And sometimes, you know what those bad spirits do? They go inside people, demons. I mean, we read about it. We think it's fake. I don't think it is. It's true. And what happens when a demon possesses someone? How does that person behave? Do they behave like themselves or do they behave like the demon? How do they behave? So, so, so clearly we're sitting here going, wow, so spirits can inhabit people and they behave like the spirit. That's a, that's a totally antithesis to the Holy Spirit morally, but not in principle. Are you, are you all tracking with me on that? Not in principle. The Holy Spirit lives in us and it's better that way. Last passage, 16, 12 to 15. 16, 12 to 15. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all that, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We've already noted that and he says it again. There's no untruth, no error, no falsehood. The truth in this statement, he will guide you into all the truth. It's not like, 
and the Holy Spirit will make you like Einstein. You're gonna have discoveries in space. You're gonna know truths of the world. You're gonna, it's not that, it's not that. Notice, and in the Greek, there is, it says, and he will guide you into, all, some translations say, and he will guide you into all truth. But the Greek says, and the New American Standard says, he will guide you into the truth. So, so he's, he's, it's a specific truth that the Spirit guides us into. Well, what is the specific truth that the Spirit guides us into? Hint, hint, hint. The truth about God's redemptive plan as revealed in the 66 books of the Spirit-inspired Word of God. All the truth surrounding the person and work of Jesus. The Spirit will guide you into all of that. And I want you to know in this text, the Spirit has no agenda and in a sense, possessions of his own to give us. You notice that? The Spirit listens to what the Father says. The Spirit listens to what Jesus says. The Spirit takes what, the fa- what is the Father's. The Spirit takes what is the Son's and applies it and gives it to us. Many have said it this way. The Spirit is a floodlight and he shines his light on Jesus. This is beautifully described in the statement. And the Spirit will glorify the Son, that's what the Spirit does. And so I will ask you, we have been here this morning and we've been singing and we've been talking and praying. We've done all these things. What, what work has the Spirit been doing in us even up to this point? Think of it this way. We have not come into this room and said, praise you, Holy Spirit. We're not in the room going, the Spirit is awesome. We're not in the room going, the Spirit is the greatest thing ever. We we didn't do that. What did we say? What, what, What did we say in our songs? I mean, we're standing here singing and we say, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We say, crown him Lord of all. We said, all glory be to Jesus. It's like we can't stop talking about Jesus in the room. Why? Why can we not stop talking about Jesus? I'm asking you. The Holy Spirit is in us and that's what the Holy Spirit does. Absolutely. You all, if we're in a place and we're all just saying the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, then I don't know that the Holy Spirit's never talking about himself. The Holy Spirit is always talking about Jesus. Always talking about Jesus. Cannot stop talking about Jesus. Okay. I'm gonna put these on the screen so you'll have them. I'll have them on the website. Nine truths. The helper is a person. The helper is with us and in us. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells others about Jesus and so do we. The Holy Spirit in us 
is better than Jesus incarnate with us. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, all the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. In John 19, post-resurrection, Jesus is risen from the grave. He comes to see the disciples and he finds them. The text says, the text says they're in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They're hiding. They're afraid of the Jews. John 19. Acts chapter one says the disciples are out in the streets. You don't hide in the street. And on the street, they are, they are speaking to the Jews and saying, Jesus is Lord. God sent his son, Christ, to die on the cross. He was buried and he rose again and you killed him. But it was God's plan to say, I mean, they don't sound scared to me. Uh, I don't even know how to describe the level of boldness and the change that happened from hiding in closed doors to walking the streets and shouting Jesus. What in the world made the change? Well, I could give you nine things. I can give you nine reasons. They went from hiding behind the door to proclaiming Christ. I can give you nine reasons that this uneducated group of people with nothing turned the world upside down. Now here's, here's, the, here's the thing to me. I think for most of us in the room, you read, read that list and you go, well, Lloyd, we know that too. So why is my Christian life kind of so dull? Or why is my Christian life, why, am I, why does God not seem to be using, why am I not experiencing? Can I offer this? You don't really know those nine things. Or you know it intellectually but you're not experiencing it. And these are things not just to be known and filled out on a test, not answered on a Bible quiz. I'm telling you, these are truths to be experienced in our life. They were true then, they have lost none of their vitality today. <laughs> Let's stand together. I told you this is an introduction and so let me tell you what we're gonna do next week and the next week and the next week. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves these truths from our mind into our whole heart. Our whole heart. That scares some of us. Some of you, I don't know, I'll probably get an email this week and go, wait, are, are you guys kind of getting into blah, blah, blah? You know, 
goodness gracious, people. Look, the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says he lives in the Christian. What, what do you think that would look like? I'm telling you, it, it, it looks like Acts in, in so many ways. And so I wanna pray for you as I send you out. I wanna pray about these nine things. Would you join me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this intimate meal in which Jesus says things that, well, if we didn't have it recorded, we wouldn't know. And so you ensured that we would hear this conversation. To know that the helper is a person, he is with us and in us. That he is in fact the Holy Spirit, which means he is fully God. And that he teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. That he tells others about Jesus and we join him. Lord, I pray in the next four weeks that understanding that the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us would change us. We would not be the same. And that the Holy Spirit would indeed guide us into all the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us would glorify Jesus. We cannot, we cannot understand, experience, apply, be changed by these truths apart from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, because you're God and we don't pray to you often because you would not have us do that. You actually enable us to pray to the Father and we do it in the name of Jesus and it glorifies the Father. And yet I'm gonna ask you as God now to show us yourself and your work in our lives because in doing so, we're not gonna make a whole bunch of you. You would, have it, you would not have it that way. But in so doing, we will make more and more and more and more of Jesus. And in doing so, we would glorify the Father more and more and more and more. And so, Heavenly Father, I trust that our prayer as I speak these words this morning are in the jet stream of your will. And because we ask and seek based upon the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus, I trust you're gonna answer this prayer. Amen. I hope you leave this week and you take these nine statements and pray about them, think about them, study them, ask God to show you the truth. And if it doesn't scare you just a little what God might do as he gets a hold of us in these ways, then I don't know that you've quite got there because it scares me in a way. I'm being, it really does. But it scares me good, you know, because I want it. 
and in saying I want it, I'm just saying what I hope many of your hearts are expressing, and that is we want God to be glorified, and he will be. God bless.